Welcome to Tender Buttons, a podcast chatting to writers and artists about their process and politics, with me, Jessica Andrews, and my co-host, Jack Young. If you'd like to buy any of the books from today's episode, as a listener of the show, you can get a 10% discount by entering Tender Buttons at the Storysmith checkout. You can find them online at storysmithbooks.com or visit them in person on North Street in Bedminster. We're super excited to have Zakia McKenzie as our guest for this episode. She's someone who is at the heart of so many important projects happening in Bristol at the moment. Zakia McKenzie was born in London in the 1980s, but grew up in Kingston, Jamaica. She came back to England in 2014. Zakia is a storyteller and a PhD candidate at the University of Exeter on the Caribbean Literary Heritage Project. She was the 2019 Forestry England Writer-in-Residence and has been a volunteer at Ujima 98FM Community Radio here in Bristol since 2015 as well as an ambassador of Ujima's Black and Green Initiative. Her pamphlet, Testimonies on the History of Jamaica, Volume 1, is out now with Rough Trade Editions, in collaboration with the Garden Museum. She has also recently published essays with the New Wild Isles Anthology, that came out with Head of Zeus, as well as the Women on Nature Anthology, that came out last month with Unbound. You can find links to all the references on our episode page. So, hello Zakia, welcome to Tender Buttons. It's lovely to have you. Thank you so much. I'm so, so happy to talk to you guys. We thought we'd start by asking you about um, the fact that your writing is sometimes described as nature writing. Um, And I listened to an interview with you and you said something interesting about how you feel that label is only applied in the UK. And when you were writing in Jamaica, people don't call your work nature writing. And I was just wondering how you feel about that label and why you think that might be. I think, you know, nature writing is a genre here already. You know, it was like a totally, it was a thing here. When I came to England and really knew what nature writing was, I don't think I was interested or knew what the genre was before of writing because I just wrote in a particular setting or, you know, I was writing about things that happened in places that we would kind of always include the descriptions of the places or the things and, you know, the type of things you'd see. And so here it was, it, 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 I suppose here is where nature writing began. And so the tradition has been here for a long time. And now is when I suppose people have been questioning it a bit more, right? Um, and so for me, I also question it because nowhere else has my writing been considered nature writing in the same way. And I mean, of course, I entered a competition, which was a nature writing competition, you know, but I didn't shift my, I know that I didn't shift my writing style that much. Um, I was kind of still writing in the same breath I was writing in before. I just now submitted it to this outlet, you know? Do you think it's as well, because like, when I think about like the, the fact that things are even called like nature writing, it's like this disconnect as if like we're not nature ourselves. For your comparison between like uh, writing about landscape in Jamaica and writing about it here, whether it's like to do with this disconnect that we have in, in England with kind of green spaces. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I said that all the time that we nature, we're not different to nature. Like, you know, the kind of setup of nature as you know let's go to nature or let's do the nature thing this weekend let's you know it it is setting us up to be disconnected to it in our everyday life in our regular life in in the things that we do every day you know so 
um, I think absolutely it's kind of, you know, my writing uh, brings, it speaks about that in, in many ways. And it talks about how, um, how, how people are living like that. And, and, and when we set up a kind of a standard and a genre, and I think that everyone aspires to, we always forget about the stories and the things that are happening around all of that, that still probably have something to add to the, to the conversation and to the action of what we are trying to achieve in the end, you know, which is like good books and good environmental like linkage links, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess this leads quite nicely into your residency of the Forestry Commission. For listeners who don't know about the residency, could you explain a bit like what it was and like how you went about that? Yeah, I mean, it was, it's the reason why I'm here now. It was the thing that kind of put my writing in, in a way, in a way that lots of people would see it. And it was a, a Forestry England centenary year. So for, for this, they had two writers in residence and I was, I was so lucky to be one of them. Um, and, you know, I went in having no clue what I would have written. I thought, you know, I thought I would have written the regular kind of, uh, poetry about the scenes and the stuff like that but actually you know it, they just came up they just came to be these stories that came up some of them were about me some of them were about other people or other you know plants or things and it just was these stories of kind of just being out being outdoors as I would have been I think in probably any place in the world where I could have or would have been outdoors and things happen and there's, you know, like I said, there's life unfolding every day. And I, I suppose I'm always thinking that we're connected or people, there's someone or something that's connected to that in the kind of regular life. And what are those stories like sometimes? I think those are interesting, you know? So I, I, I wrote quite a lot of stories that were like that, I think. When I was reading through some of the writing you did on the residency, I think like one thing that struck me as well was that you were like really keen to look at like working class lives in the forest. And I think like historically that's been a thing where like the woods have seen, like in, in English nature writing have been seen as like this wilderness that the aristocrats go and like shoot deer. And it was really refreshing to read you looking at working class lives in these places that have not, which hasn't been written about because it's nature writing historically has been written by like very affluent white middle-class men in the past you know? yeah and you know that came from i always said the forest setting re reminded me of of like where my mother is from where my grandmother is from where my grandmother is still living you know because it was again when you think of it it's a beautiful place in terms of the scenes you're just surrounded by like just absolutely like magnificent trees and greenery and kind of, you know, wonderful things to look at, you know, rivers, streams, just everything that you, you'll be there and you're like, oh my goodness, this is so great to, to be here. But then, as I said, the first of the was just like, oh, I was so excited to go there. But when I went there, I was like, oh, these are just like little villages of people just going to work, like drinking in a pub, just doing that kind of thing. And we're like, oh, this, you know, and so I thought it was, uh, I, I came to like really love the forest of Dina and I suppose because I wrote about it, I wrote about working class life because that was what this forest was about. And, um, yeah. And, and the people that worked in all of the forest, the forest too, you know, uh, the, that one poem I wrote, the arborist, which was about these tree climbers, you know, they're like a, a great job that you don't really hear about, you know, or you don't really know about people doing these jobs that are climbing these really tall and really old trees there are only very few of them i think there are only three of them through all of forestry england who 
who they will send to the different forests to, to you know, take, take on the oldest trees and prune them and care them. I think, you know, these are the stories that we don't know when we go and see these wonderful places. And yeah, and, and for me, I, it's just what was interesting to me in a way too, you know, and I suppose when I, I wrote them, I wasn't even, I didn't even know that it was in such opposition to what was already the, the structure of, of the genre, you know, I was just, I, I wrote about the forest I really liked, the ones I went to and, you know, the forest of Dean was one, yeah. Maybe it's linked to this idea that people seem to have as well as spending time in nature as being leisure time, right? So if you have leisure time, you go on holiday or you go for a walk and how that's complex in terms of class and how much leisure you might have. And I guess it seems to me like your work is pushing back against that because it's connected to capitalism, right? And the idea that it's not leisure time to spend time in nature, it's just being alive. (laughs) It is part of that. Yeah, you know, so when I went there, actually, this is what um, uh, Dr. Dr. Roger Deeks and, and Jason Griffiths from University of Gloucestershire's Reading the Forest Project kind of told me. They were my hosts when I was actually getting through this forest. And, and you know, they straight up said, you know, this is a forest that when you come here, it's not the... And they said that at this point, it kind of is becoming a place, a leisure place where people are coming to kind of relax and, you know, do the whole... As you said, this whole kind of, it's an industry in a way. It is an industry for people to go away on holiday or the weekend, you go camping, you go hiking, you know, it is an industry in a way. Um, and so th- there definitely is that happening in in, in, in these old spaces in, in England too. And in a way, I think we also need to be recognizing that the people living there um, have their own opinions and, and, and have long had their own opinions and traditions and stories and folklore that in a way we have to protect as well. You know, I think these, for me, I just love the stories too. I love, and I think that we need to protect kind of like the oral tradition, the written tradition, the stories that only people that live in certain places know. And sometimes the stories are only things because of like the animals that are there or the plants that are there. So you get these very, you know, like local stories. I just, that's just great for me. You know, that's just what's interesting to me. Yeah. And it just so happens, I suppose it's interesting to me and it is in opposition to capitalism that comes in to kind of wipe all of that clean and pristine and make everything look one way, you know? Like a little chaos, a little like a little chaos in there, you know, like a little difference in the stories, yeah. Some dirt and messiness, yeah. Yeah. I um really loved your BBC show, uh, The Night Visions. Thank you, thank you so much. And I really liked your because you brought in at one point there Dennis Potter. I found that really interesting because because mm-hmm. as I understand, so Dennis Potter was TV writer, was it in the seventies and eighties? Yes from a mining yeah from the mining community yeah there and again this is from the, the guys that read in the forest you know giving me all of this information and it was great because again the forest of dean has these writers you know dennis fatal winifred foley they're just these people that have i wasn't the first one to go there and say oh my gosh i'm a writer about this like actually i'm i am just adding stories as somebody who visited right so there was this long tradition and i felt that um you know in telling the stories, it's always nice to recall some of the other things that have happened in the places and uh, keep, for me, it was good to keep that alive as well because I didn't grow up in the forest of Dean. I didn't grow up in the southwest of England. I didn't grow up in England, right? I was born in England and left as a baby. I didn't, I only came back a couple of years ago, right? So for me, and like I said, growing up in Jamaica and having the connection to a place that was, you know, just 
bush just you know in the riverside mountains and then coming here and actually feeling that in certain places in england you know i mean like that's a weird feeling to you know be like you think there's no connection to like a, a woods you know in jamaica we don't even talk about the woods but being in england of course there's the idea of the woods and so it would be, it was really weird to come here and be like wait you know it's almost like i could feel the same feelings of being in the country in jamaica and being in the forest um in england sometimes and 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 i suppose that was uh exciting and i suppose one of those feelings of connection for me that probably keeps coming up in my writing to as I explore more and kind of learn more myself you know yeah I mean it makes me think as well I guess about because in that radio piece that you did there was also the stuff about the um I can't remember the uh the manor house that it was but there was a folk tale with your work especially with testimonies that's just come out with rough trade is there's this this kind of like reanimating lost archives is a big part of what you do right Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, you know, that, that one was just a personal thing. When I came back to England, I was like, wait, you can't be telling me stories from 300 years ago, 400 years ago. We're not also telling the parallel stories of what was happening in the Caribbean, what was happening in, you know, in India, what was happening in Africa. We, we, we can't actually be talking about those stories. And then when we talk about the transatlantic slave trade, we're talking about forget those stories. I just thought like, come on, like I am, I just became lucky because I could connect the timelines and be like, Hey, when this was happening, you know, when King Charles, this, this, that, when Queen Anne, when this, that, that was happening, I can tell you exactly what was happening in the Caribbean now, because I went and like researched it because I just thought history is what we remember, right? History is what we kind of remember ourselves and give each other as, you know, pass on as the stories, but what, what else happened? What were the other things that happened? So it is about kind of a connect you know my right definitely my writing no and, and that was just a progression as well from coming here and learning about certain stories and thinking like okay we can connect them to uh the other places where british colonialism uh, happened and 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 where it took place and the stories actually influence what happened on british soil as well yeah definitely i mean this feels like a good segue into talking about your new pamphlet testimonies uh, on the history of Jamaica so so do you want to like set it up a little bit for people who haven't come across it yet like what what the project is how you came about it and like how you went into the testimonies project so uh testimonies on the history of Jamaica volume one it's uh uh just a, a pamphlet to with rough trade books and it actually came up because I read another book called the history of Jamaica volume one right the history of Jamaica or a general survey of the you know ancient um, is a long name, but it was written by someone called Edward Long in 1774, right? There were three volumes of it. My testimonies are doing exactly um, this kind of retelling or reanimation. I like how you put that, reanimation of, of stories, right? Because Edward Long came from a, a British colonial family, what would have been called a planter family in Jamaica at the time, right? But they were the enslavers. And in uh, so he wrote this kind of study that became the book to set up Jamaican history for as long as the British uh, held Jamaica, which is until 1962. This book has been kind of the cornerstone of the history. And we forget that now, actually, but this book was the cornerstone. And so when I kind of learned that recently, I was like, 
hold on, you know, them, th this is his book is there, but actually what about some of the things and people he were right, who he was writing about that didn't have power because he, he was a person in power. What about the stories of the people who weren't in power? So my testimonies on the history of Jamaica are actually people who are speaking on some of the very same situations he describes in his, in his volumes, but, but telling it from the point of view of, you know, like a, a black slave woman, a kind of, um, a, a demigod, a, a time traveling demigod kind of, or, and, and, and also a maroon who wasn't a slave of the British, but was in Jamaica at the time and could give a kind of testimony on what was happening and the things that we already know written, but we know them written from, from, uh, British records. Right. So this is kind of like creating records for the other side of the story. And I, I love how um, each of the characters within the testimonies has such a distinct voice. Like, you know, each of them very much have their own turns of phrase or some of them speak with bits of Spanish. And I was kind of wondering about voice because obviously you are, you're voicing a different side of the story. But I was wondering, like, as a writer, what kind of responsibility do you feel like you have when, when you're representing different voices yeah so uh, that's a great question because there were some characters or you know parts of jamaican history that i wanted to write i said you know what i'm not ready to write that yet i don't have the information to kind of put that on paper um and, and it be truthful enough you know so i think the characters that i wrote were for now the easiest ones that i could write and i suppose these are the ones that have been in me forever you know growing up in jamaica and living the Jamaican situation and then coming back to England and recognizing it, you know, so these are the ones that I could have written about and the stories that, you know, uh, some of the stories or some of the characters who I would have been familiar with. So the kind of like the, the narrator of the story, Anansi is a character that maybe a lot of people would know from, uh, West Indian or West, I mean, yeah, Caribbean and West African literature as the storyteller, the kind of convener of the stories. Right. And he kind of, put the story together, set it up at the beginning for us. And so taking that character and writing it, I suppose in a way, um, was an easy part and an easy segue into the other characters and linking them back to the Anansi character, right? I think for me, even though, funny enough, Anansi has the smallest part in the very beginning, but it, for me it was the foundation in terms of relating, the, you know, the characters have to speak to him, right? He's, he's kind of like the person they have to speak through to get to the queen who is really the person in or or the thing with the power in the book right with the kind of power over the west indies or or the power over jamaica really that's he you know he says he's the the uh, the muse or the pencil that he just has to you just have to go through him to write to her or to speak to her but um so him have, having him as the anchor character there for me was much easier to pick up those other characters to talk to it and to talk to him and uh, you know like the character of one day one day sheba again is this uh, uh for me learning that was a character in jamaican history that i feel you know that jamaican like we should know 100 percent in jamaica but we don't like we do not learn of that historical figure in jamaican schools so for me like drawing for that figure again was in a way saying to also our education system in jamaica like why aren't we learning these stories as well Right. So that I mean, some in a way, you know, I took that responsibility upon myself, I suppose, to bring that character into our uh, culture again or conversation. Not saying, you know, the converse, it's not necessarily in a culture, but it's in a conversation, hopefully. 
Um, and I think, so those characters were easy for me to get and those voices were easier for me to get. And maybe I'll write more. And I, I definitely think there was one character, one voice that I was really going for, which is of the indigenous people of Jamaica that I just had. I just don't have the information to write from that point of view just yet. Yeah. So, so what is your research process like, especially if you're writing about lives that aren't, there isn't a lot of documentation? Like, wh- where, where do you begin and how do you go about it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was imagination a lot of it was just saying probably things i wanted to say you know and 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 set them through the different characters on on the situations you know i think that that middle one with the spanish character too i don't speak spanish right i had to get my um friend marta who is spanish to read it for me and say like yo is this make sense and you know she changed a lot of the stuff and said this is a term this is how we do it so there was a way where i think you know it was i had to like do my own research in what would have been the situation so it was a lot of reading as you said reading a lot of uh old historical documents right and then imagining really and truly imagining what the other side might have sounded like you know looked like or you know and, and thoughts it was also like looking at in the the like the archives of photos, you know, the archives of what the, the, the paintings of the time of the different islands and not only Jamaica, that's, that's the thing too. I think I wrote about Jamaica, but I saw it so much as like, it could be any island in the Caribbean, the, the story, there could be testimonies from any island in the Caribbean, right? I, I really thought that. So a lot of the research was reading from different stories in the Caribbean, like uh, the sacking of Panama City, I read about, but nothing about that kind of really comes into my my testimonies there. And so stuff like that, I think, was interesting for me just to learn about uh, Caribbean and Jamaican history. And I'm, I mainly just included the things that I thought were either things that people in Jamaica would really know now, like people in Jamaica know Catherine's Peak as a, as a point, as a place. And Catherine's Peak is kind of the main uh you know, story, testimony of the last uh, testimony of the third part of the, the pamphlet, right? So there were some things that I thought people in Jamaica and people who know Jamaican culture or know the Jamaican landscape, even some of the food or the fruits that I spoke about, people know them, you know? And in the same way, people would know uh, them here, you know, talking about the sugar, the indigo, the tobacco. We kind of all know what these products are or what these things are in our everyday life today or where to come into where we are in england or you know anywhere else in the in the global north really so i mean it was a lot for me about using those um using the different voices to 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 get to get those stories into um into words you know probably in a way that hasn't been done in response and i think about these testimonies as very much in response to edward long's book and to a lot of the stuff that have been written because we just have to imagine them and make up the stories right i just have to i just have to make up some parts of it because they, they really they just aren't the records that we wish we had i thought it was really interesting how you responded to the idea of a testimony from an Edward Long perspective, I imagine it's this kind of very legal official, like written in the law, and it's a colonial Western law thing. And like yes. you say, that's been like forgotten how much that's informed people outside of Jamaica's understanding of Jamaica. But then, like you say, like there's so much like vibrancy and like oral dimension to your testimonies. And it seems like almost turning on its head a bit, like what a testimony could be is a big part of your project yeah i mean definitely because 
you know, first of all, it, we, we get this set up as it is kind of very official, but then we just hear, okay, we're just sitting under a tree as all of us talking in a way. And I think, again, it goes back to thinking about these kind of old traditional ways that would have been happening and they would have been replicated all over the world too. You know, the, the, the kind of heads of the village, heads of the town would probably meet on that big tree and talk before it was that we were had things written in the law and so i think for these testimonies definitely was it was definitely say and and also the, these testimonies not necessarily happening in our world too so they're kind of happening in a we're kind of unsure which world it's happening in in a way but i think it was definitely um saying that we we are going to use uh a, a, a kind of method of 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 the master method of the colonial kind of uh government that we are writing these uh testimonies in response to right so there was a way where it was like that but they're as you said they're giving us oral testimonies and um they're just people it seems like they're just people standing up speaking and just saying what it is that happens and we as a reader we're not even sure what happens with the records yet we don't even know right so for, for all we know right now is that we have like uh, people responding to what Edward Long said, right? And uh, and I just, I suppose I didn't think much about, you know, what happens next to the testimonies, you know, once they get there. Suppose now this is just the part where uh, the characters are just, you know, straight up responding. And we get, we, we're supposed to get the idea that this is also a very long drawn out process. So maybe this is only like part one of the process or something. Yeah. <laughs> I think as well, like the way that time, well, I think if like, history and time and the way it works is like really interesting in in your testimonies and the quote that you have at the start from Edouard Glissant like frames that really well yeah. so, so I'm just going to read two little bits of that quote if that's okay in the this is the kind of epilogue um Edouard Glissant says history is something begun in the folk story or speech and the need for an expression of lived reality in the histories we tell and then there's another bit where he later on in that quote about history being a space that keeps changing and in a time that constantly is being altered and so that's like you say like hundreds of years happen in these testimonies mm -hmm. so they begin in the 17th century and go on for a few hundred years but like from the very opening time itself isn't like linear like you introduced that quite early on so I was, I was interested in thinking about you know, they're all the testimonies in the present tense and in the first person and they all the characters respond to each other as if they were all happening at once. And I wanted to, yeah. I wanted you to talk a little bit about like how time works in your testimonies and why that's important. Yeah, um, I suppose because, so we're looking again, this is a, a response to this long history that has been written about for 400, 500 years and trying to uh, give some, give some response to it in a way. First of all, I think one thing is that it can never be coherent because it's just way too long and there way, there's way too much history that one we don't know and that's just too uh, sordid that we and hurried that we will never recount and never speak about, right? So I think, again, there's just some parts of it that will just never make sense. And time was supposed to represent that in a way, saying that this all happens at once and it's not even happening anymore is what's supposed to be that and saying and also saying that while these testimonies are taking place time stands still was also supposed to give this idea that okay how how can these testimonies be given on a history that are being said in the present tense and kind of recited in the present tense that was also to give the idea that look it's a traumatic history that is still here right it's like ptsd it's still living 
right? And I think that's why time was so, that, that is why time was so kind of ambivalent and we weren't sure because one, it was supposed to be like madness. You're supposed to be like, this is madness. It, you know, uh, the fact that it's been so long and we have never spoken about these things is madness. And it's almost uh, like, how can you even start? Right. How can you start? Where do, where do you end? What, what is the last testimony? How many, how many are you going to take? A hundred thousand, three hundred thousand. Where do the testimonies end? And also, um, I guess in a way saying that it's still happening now, that the testimonies could be given from somebody now, from a character in the now. Thinking of the contrast between this, like Edward Long's like testimony and how that was held up by this, like you say, someone in all the position of power and and the oppressor within that, and that was held up for 200, 300 years as one individual. But like in your testimonies, it's like very collaborative. So like there's loads of moments yep. where one character will say, oh, I didn't know that. Like, let me build on that here. This idea of like collaboratively building history from yep. people who are from Jamaica set against this kind of like, you know, person who'd come from elsewhere to exploit and oppress. That seems important, the collaborative history. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, these characters are also, they're not kind of linear operating either. You know, the last character is, uh, she's alive long before, long after, you know, the, the second one even begins speaking. They're, they're only together, it seems in this space where they're giving these testimonies, it would seem from the years of what they talk about. But, um, like definitely because it was again to challenge this idea of who writes history and what are the stories that we tell and what we remember. You know, I think I, I definitely, and it, uh, you know, I would say moving back to England was really like, wow, what is a collective memory? What is the memories that we kind of culturally make? What's a cultural memory? What's How do we build and remember the things that we've done or been involved with as individuals, but also as uh, countries and places? How do we tell our stories? Um, you know, I think a good example of that would be my, um, it would be the story of, it could be, okay, one from the testimonies, it could be the story of Indigo, right? So now Indigo is, it still grows in Jamaica, but most of us don't know that Indigo grows there when one time it was the most important crop of the land, right? So again, what are the stories that we kind of remember and tell and what's important to us? I suppose what it, it, it's a lot about what we value, I think. And I mean... Uh, in writing the testimonies again it was for me a lot of the things I wrote about I think were you know the facts of what I wrote about were things that I just learned like most of the facts I learned them from Edward Lang's books right I, I learned them from the records that had been written um, and I and those are stated as facts actually you know these are stated as the things that kind of anchor the time or the or the um, the, the action of some of what the, the characters give the testimonies on right so there's a way where I can't avoid using those sources and, and kind of drawing from them as major sources as well. Edward Long's book, I had to go to it for a lot of it in to be able to respond to it. And, and I had to trust it too as well, because I know that uh, in a way, you know, the the writing and the uh, the kind of, uh, what, like the scholarship was different. So he was one man that was writing about uh, like, like uh, politics, environment like sociology ecology he wrote about every single topic right we wouldn't have that from one person nowadays you everyone has their little niche you have the environmentalist you have the ecologist who studies the plants you have the one who studies the lizards right we wouldn't even have 
have some one person having this wide range of of things to look at nowadays so the you know there are a lot of ways you can critique edward long's book but it is a book of the period right so and i and i, I hope to get that through in the second testimony where the character actually he does he isn't actually upset with anybody else but the other span uh black maroon in in jamaica at the time uh at that pivotal time when uh the spanish and the british kind of fought for jamaica and the british ended up with it right He's not really upset with anybody else. He's upset with the guy that was supposed to be his brother, you know? And so this in a way was saying like, we can't even be vexed with the histories that are already there and the people in a way, because they were like doing what was to be done at that time, right? Edward Long was held up as like the top man in society because that's what was uh good for society at the time in their eyes right so the uh, in responding to them with the testimonies as well while we speak about a lot of those the things that we're just like no this was just wrong there's no way we don't care what what century what era these are just things that are just very wrong to do to other human beings um a lot of the stories are as you said there are people there are the, the, the different people in conversation with each other and building on each other and saying, no i didn't know that happened here in jamaica because in the same way a lot of us now would be hearing about some of the historical things and say we didn't know that happened and i, I think people in england too and i, I was very uh uh you know i was made sure I did like try to link back the dates again, as I say, and kind of put some of the points of reference were other things I learned since I was here, right? About, about, um, not just about the voyages to the Caribbean and stuff, but also about what was happening on British soil and link those stories back and say that like, remember, these are very interlinked stories. You know, the histories are so long and we forget, but they're kind of still, there was a time when, um, you know, Britain and Jamaica were in conversation every single day in every single way. Right. And we forget it now. And I suppose it was just me saying like, Oh, I forgot it too. Until I had the reference until I myself had the references from the two different points. Right. And could, could in a way put them together, um, to rough trade books. Thank you for allowing me to do it. Right. To put it, to put it together in this pamphlet and, and get some of these stories out. Cause, cause really I was just stunned, as I said, uh, having gone through the Jamaican education system my whole life and just being like, but I, I had no clue. Like I had to come to England and be able to read these big books and these top books and get like, the, you know, get access to these really, um, you know, like posh things that I could find. Um, I don't even know, do I have the, the ability to kind of understand, uh, where the connections are drawn. So, so, and yeah, that's, that's really, that's about, that's that. Yeah. I think it was interesting thinking about what you were saying earlier about imagination and how you had to imagine a lot of the lives of these people because you didn't have the information. And even though, you know, it's obviously a huge loss that you don't have those facts in a way, I guess the process of actually imagining yourself in these lives is actually a much more like emotive and connected experience than just like reading a fact, a cold fact in a history book. Mm. You know, I, I guess maybe like as, as a process and as a writer, it gives you a different opportunity maybe, even within the loss. Yeah, I mean, this is the first time I ever wrote kind of historical fiction, and 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 so I I don't write fiction really, right? I kind of 
have been just writing essays, maybe some poetry and, and stuff like that, kind of different type of either creative pieces or just not, right? Like kind of journalistic type of stuff. So to write a historical fiction was like so great for me. It was really great to be able to, uh, like you say, imagine a lot of the lives of these people in response to, you know, the other part of it is that the, the things have been written, but all the parts that have been written are, are, are the parts that we kind of know too about their lives. It was giving these people or, you know, these characters that we know more than just the story that was the slave story and the story that was uh, just of their kind of subjugation all the time. It was giving them a chance to say a bit more about themselves and what they might have lived, you know? And I think that was also important for Catherine in the last part as well, to get the kind of story of her. I think it was important to get more about her story in the Jamaican society at the time as a, a British woman from a colonial family. I thought that was really important to put some of that in there. Um, just because, again, it was just the things I had learned since I've come here and also learning about nature writing and uh, the, the position of women in nature writing for as long as it has been in England. And I just thought these were interesting parallels of things that happened in Jamaica and things that might have been happening in the UK um, were in, in Great Britain at that time, you know? I think yeah the 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 final testimony is t- uh, Tansy is it the yeah Tansy so like you say it revolves around the Saint Catherine's Peak and what I think was really interesting is that is like Tansy's understanding of like the non-human world like for like growing stuff for like medicine and how that's so at odds with the very start of the testimonies there's a I think it's is it a Spanish colonial map of Jamaica that you have at the start yep yep it's the map kind of right before everything changed. It's right before the beginnings of the testimonies that we hear. And you can see on there, like the Spanish markers for the different places of it, which are obviously like colonial markers. But then uh, in Tansy's story, it's like, it feels like she's almost doing some alternative mapping where she's like mapping, mm. mapping something. Cause you, you frame it with that official colonial map at the start, but then it's like, it ends yeah. with this thing where, she, like you say, not only gives more complexity to Catherine's character and her difficulties with gender, but then there's the double complexity of, like, for Tansy as a black woman, all of the achievements which have been lost or, like, not celebrated of black women and their relation, their understanding of, like, of, like the ecology and these kind of things. So uh, was there some kind of alternative mapping across both time and space that Tansy was doing? in that testimony yeah yeah you you put you put it better than i could actually (laughs) that's like a nice way to put it um but definitely i think there was um it was she was definitely used to talk probably about the gender roles and as you said a kind of a racial structures of of and that was really to think talk about the society as it was um you know the like colonial the makeup of the colonial societies as they ran which was to show that it was no different from how it was in england at the time like it really was just the same thing replicated in the different colonies in in different places and then you had the added um thing of the uh the the black slave right which i I, you know that was so when again it was a lot about just learning really when i came here and really learn about uh british society i think you grew up in Jamaica, you grew up in any of these places. We look to places like uh, England and America, right? These are the big two, but these are, this is the place to be. This is foreign. These are the places where you go and you make life. You get, the, you get it big. And so, I mean, I was born here, but I never grow. I never spent much of my life here. I was a baby by the time I was in Jamaica. So when I came back here and I was like, oh, uh, and I didn't visit much either. So by the time I came back and I was like, oh, 
I understand, like, I, I get the references now, like, I get the cultural references, I get the, the things that we see on TV, I understand what is, like, a stereotype, I understand a lot more, and so I, I'm, like, I'm still intrigued by, like, a lot of that learning, I, like, I'm, I love learning about, like, new places, new cultures, and so for me, that was, a, those first years when I was here, back here, it was a lot about learning about those type of things, and so, one thing that was uh that probably influenced the testimonies a lot was when I watched like Downton Abbey. That was a, that was the maddest time of my life. I was like, what? This what like this was happening here? And I think there were so many like juxtapositions. I was like, I, and that was just crazy for me when I got into that show. You know, and I, I watched like everything, like sit down, binge watch it, because I was like, I did. And then the other part of the story was how did the people at Downton acquire their wealth? And so there's a way where a lot of the testimonies probably came out of, you know, is a, is a response to that as well. And say, look, when, when this was happening, uh, when all of this drama was happening here, all of this drama was happening here too, that kind of made it possible and kind of made what was happening there possible. And uh, the people at Downton, the, the, the daughters could kind of, they could turn their back on a lot of that stuff, you know, if uh, during the time periods when, because we know that's one family, but there were, you know, a lot of families, we know how it is here um and so for me that was a lot about that was like a big moment for me too that i think influenced even that um uh as you said a night vision on bbc4 right it was learning about uh the, the manners the, the houses here because we have the great house we have the manners in jamaica as well and they're just kind of different replications of and in many ways, Jamaica has the same cultures and politics, and we still have them. It's a problem. We still have the colonial structure, and we still hold them up, right? So in this way, I think the, the testimonies definitely was uh, kind of in response to all of that and saying, like, look, we have a problem here because we have forgotten that these things are connected, and maybe it's time we untether them and talk about them and kind of, like, move in a different way, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that it was only when you moved back here that you started to get to understand some of the uh, the connections between England and Jamaica. Because for me, like, I'm white and grew up here. And, like, my school, like, at school and stuff, like, there was nothing ever about... And to the extent where we learned about the slave trade but didn't talk about the British involvement in it, it would be like, you'd learn about... Aboli really? You'd learn about abolitionists. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so it's like the story... Like, it's what history is, like, palatable for, like... Yeah. Conservative Britain yep. kind of thing. But then it's... Yeah, the thing that you say about Downton Abbey is really interesting because that's been so... Like, the English country house until really recently. I'd say, like, in the last two years, there's finally this kind of, like... Um, momentum going where like you'd see it in all of the period dramas that are so like the biggest exports out of like British television you'd see like the wonderful kind of like costumes and furniture mm -hmm. but then like you say the minute you look at like oh where's the indigo coming from where's the mahogany coming from yes where is it all exactly. coming from and it's like it feels like your work and lots of things that are going on like with the National Trust report and this kind of stuff it's like there's a finally some kind of reckoning with the fact that like this green and pleasant land, like yes, its basis yeah. is born out of like 
what was going on in places like Jamaica, I guess. I mean, the irony about that is that in the, in the Caribbean, in Jamaica, we learn our history and it's a lot of British history because it was the same history at the times. You know, if we learn about 1700s in Jamaica, we learn about kings and queens that were here in the 1800s. So that's the irony. And none of that has any re relevance to at least people growing up in Jamaica when I was, I definitely know, right? That That's not really what we kind of need to be instilling in the people that born and grew up in Jamaica in 2000 and the 2000s thousands right we need to give them as and here as well we need to give them a much more truer picture and also i think uh yeah just a, a more truer picture that is more connected like it's a it's a world why why aren't we connecting and knowing what's happening in other places in the world why are we kind of feeling uh cut off and one you know the, the global south everybody just wants to rush to the global north and we we have no we're not looking to other parts of the world as places that are anything more than for people here to go and have leisure time in vacation in and stuff like that right we we don't we're not going there for uni we're not going there to you know we might go there to film a, a movie but we're not going there for do, to do anything more than uh put it in pretty things and talk about the environment so why are we not also talking about the history of the environment right why are we also not talking about the kind of history of why it is set up in this way now why is it that it is seen as uh and i mean again my critique goes against the how it is in jamaica too because jamaica should have instilled me with the information before i came here because most people in jamaica will not come to england and uh, ever come into the kind of knowledge that I came into because I came here and just buck up on certain things or certain people um, and, and learn stuff, right? And learn about the kind of uh, juxtapositions in the same way. So um, for me, it, it really is um, kind of sharing that information and also, and, and definitely critiquing all, this, all, all the education systems as well in the places that uh, are uh, connected to these stories and saying like, why aren't you even telling the stories? You know, it, as, as much as I haven't commented on uh, Spanish colonialism in Jamaica, that's because I don't have the information, right? We don't, we don't really learn much about that in Jamaica. And for me, those records now are in Spanish, which I don't, I can't access that much, right? You know, I can, can get some of them, but by the time I write a character, that speaking fully Spanish, you know, I would have had to be way further along. But but a Spanish character is a part of the Jamaican story, right? It is a part of the Jamaican story uh, pre uh, 1655 or 1654 when my, my testimony starts. Um, so it is definitely about saying like, hold on, like, and these things, that because they're there in records and we already know, like archives records, they're places that most of us not going anyways. They're just inaccessible. They belong to these big institutions that most of us don't want to be associated with anyway. And I mean, we, do, we just, you know, we don't even feel comfortable in them. Uh, I think, you know, the regular person isn't going into the British Library to go and uh, look at some old colonial records like that. So there's a way where I think we have, we, we should have a lot more of these stories in, I suppose, popular culture. And I'm just, you know, adding my little part. But I think people have been doing it too. People have been doing it for a while. And as you say, it's only in the past few years where I suppose there's more of a conversation now or, or people like yourselves might learn a lot more and then be like, hold on, why, why haven't we learned this? Or, you know, and the same thing I'm saying, like, why haven't we learned this in Jamaica? I think a lot of people now are saying the same things uh, because the information is just coming up, coming up more and we just kind of hear experience in it at the same, same time. Yeah. Well, it's been um, such a pleasure chatting to you, Zakia. Thanks so much for coming on Tender Buttons. Yeah, thank you very much.
thank you guys so much. It's actually been great. Great to talk to you and kind of actually even even think myself about why I wrote some of the things I wrote. So thank you guys so much. If you'd like to keep up to date with Tender Buttons, then you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Story Smith Books on North Street in Bedminster, Bristol, and we'll put links to all our references on the episode page online. We'd also like to thank Ben Vince for allowing us to use his music for our theme. <laughs>